welcome to the Faith Heights Church audio podcast. We pray that this message will bless you and feed your faith as you listen in today. I should stop saying that. I think I say that every time I get up here. Dating myself. Gosh. And you're like, you're not even that old. Well, compared to the youth, I'm old, okay? Get called old now. I'm like, I ain't old. I don't got white hair yet. And even if I did, I think there's a good verse about white hair, right? Like, I can't recall what it says about it, but yeah. Yeah, Bev's like, I'm rocking it. Yeah. Jesse DePlantis has white hair. Woo! I almost want to dye my hair white after I see his hair. I'm like, wow, so bright. (laughs) Well, for those of you who don't know whom I am, my name is Dominic, and I have the privilege and honor to bring the word to you today. How many are you expecting something good today? How many are you expecting to hear from God this morning? You know, it's not all on me to prepare but it, you have a part two, right? You know, I can only deliver so much as you receive. You know, sometimes up here you can tell when there's resistance. But I'm believing that that resistance isn't happening today. Amen? That the word is going to be brought forth, that we're going to hear what we have to hear. And it's going to change our lives. Amen? We don't just come to hear a good message, feel good message about, uh, you know, feeling good, but we come to hear a message to be changed, right? To empower us to live the life that God's called us to live. Well, I'm not going to preach on favor this morning. We're actually going to start a new series as long as I'm up here talking about something else. So you guys ready for something new? Yeah. Amen. All right. Let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew 24. Matthew 24. And we're going to start in verse 30. Two, Matthew twenty four thirty two, or twenty four yeah it's twenty four thirty two, and actually before we start I wanna I wanna just pray, make sure we're all in agreement that the word that to be brought forth is gonna be what we need to hear. So Father God, we just give this the rest of this service to you. This service has already been yours. I thank you Lord for helping me to preach boldly as I ought to. Thank you for helping us to receive and to hear what you have for us. And I declare we will never be the same from this moment forward. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. All right. You guys there? Uh, Let's see. I'm there. Now learn this parable from the fig tree. So this is Jesus talking. Uh, It's probably red letters in some of your Bibles. It says, when its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So has anybody ever seen a fig tree? I'm just going to be honest. I have not ever seen a fig tree. You've seen a fig tree? Okay. So apparently this is what happens. You can tell by the leaves that summer is near. Let's talk about something that we're familiar with. How many of you know when fall's coming? Well, how can you know that fall is coming? Because of the leaves. In fact, I was just golfing yesterday. Yes, I'm talking about golf again. I was just golfing yesterday, and I could see some of the leaves and the trees starting to turn yellow, and I was like, Lord... So soon, so soon. It's not that I don't like fall. I I don't mind fall. It just means that winter's right around the corner. And I'm like, Lord, 
Thank you, Lord, for fall. But anyway, I can tell fall is coming because of the leaves. So that's, this is the same premise that Jesus is saying. Verse 33, so you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near at the door. So what is he talking about here? And you're like, I don't know. We just jumped right into most of the, over halfway into the chapter. What is he talking about? He's talking about the end. Okay, so he's saying all these things that I've just talked about, we're not going to dive into those things today. You, you can during the week in your own study. But the things he's talking about is the end. So he's saying when these things are happening, know that the end is around the corner. Kind of how you know falls right around the corner because of the, of the leaves. 34, assuredly I say to you that this generation will by no means pass away until these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. 36, but of that day and that hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my father only. 37, this is gonna be our main uh, text for the next few times. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the son of man be. For as in the days of Before the flood, they were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were giving into marriage until that day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will be the coming of the Son of Man be. So Jesus is talking about the end of the age here. Why is he talking about this? Well, actually, his disciples came and asked him questions about this. This isn't something he just brought up. The disciples were asking him questions about this and this was part of his answer, towards the end of his answer. So disclaimer right off the bat, I am not an expert on the end times, all right? Joseph Morris is who we've had at the church and hopefully maybe we can have have him sometime next year. That'd That'd be nice. He's the expert. I am not the expert, okay? But at the same time, I believe many people if not at some point, every person alive has been concerned about the days we are living in. Actually, why don't you raise your hand if in the last two years you've been concerned about the days we are living in? If you didn't have your hand up, uh, we'll pray for you after service, okay? Everybody, right? Every hand went up. Everybody's concerned, particularly in the last couple years, and things are only getting worse, And I think it's producing a lot of worry. I think it's producing a lot of anxiety, a lot of fear. We might not talk about it, but in our minds, every time something happens, at least for me personally, it's like, I get really uncomfortable, right? I get really like, fear tries to grip me, not just about me, but for my kids, for my family. It's like, wow, but then I gotta remember, I was called, I was made, I was designed for such a time as this. Amen? So were you. So were you. But I think it's been producing a lot, of, a lot of anxiety, a lot of nervousness. In fact, I heard this stat at a men's conference over the summer. It blew my mind. Blew my mind. And actually, our guest speaker shared it with the youth uh, on Wednesday. Um, I think it was UCLA did this study, and this quote came out of this study Um, It says, the average high school kid today has the same level of anxiety 
as the average psychiatric patient did in the early 50s. Can I tell you something else? That quote is 10 years old. That was 10 years ago where they were saying that the same level of anxiety that a high school kid faces is the same level that a psychiatric patient would, would be in that facility for in the 1950s. What about today? And that's just high school kids. What about adults? Now, I'm not saying we all need to get in line at the next psychiatric you know, <laughs> facility, but I'm saying we're all living in a higher degree of fear, anxiety, and nervousness than at any point in time. That's not okay, right? What does the Bible say about that? Jesus said, cast your cares upon me because I care for you. We need to be casting our cares. Another uh, translation your Bible might say is anxieties there. Cast your anxieties upon me because I care for you. The Bible says his burden is easy. His yoke is light. So we need to be putting on him. That's a pretty unfair trade, don't you think? We have to put on him, or excuse me, we get to put on him all of our cares, all of our fears, all of our anxieties, and we get to bring in his peace. Amen? So if we're walking in peace today, we are not normal. But that's how we should be walking. Amen? So really, this subject is a subject that a lot of people are interested in. The end times. Woo! But I think I'm going to come at it at a little different angle in this series. By the end, you're going to see where we're going. But for now, I need to lay a foundation. So before we continue, I thought I'd give you a little visual about what Jesus is talking about. Now, this video is an advertisement, not an advertisement. It's a reminder for daylight savings. I know it's not daylight savings next week, so please don't come early to church. I guess that's not a bad thing. I'm just reminding you like a couple months early that daylight savings is right around the corner. But focus less on that and more on like the content of the video. So go ahead and roll the video, please. This is the story of Henry Lovegood. That's not Henry. Ah, this is Henry. Henry lived a simple life. But simple as he was, so did he live in discipline, upright character, and profound cleanliness. But on this day, a Sunday like any other, Henry would make one fatal mistake. It wasn't in the way he meticulously prepared his breakfast. It wasn't in the way he meticulously ate his piggy toast. But rather it was in the way he prepared himself, his very soul, for that one fateful Sunday. Oblivious to what awaited him, Henry left his home never to return the same. For you see, Henry had set his own trap. He'd rung his own bell. And now the bell tolled for him.
Don't be like Henry. Don't get left behind. Set your clocks back for daylight savings. There you go. Don't get left behind, people. That's a good advertisement for Jesus. Amen. <laughs> uh, this actually happened to me one time, not like in that fashion, okay? <laughs> I wasn't like, you know, making animals out of toast and stuff. And I think, was it, was that I was taking a nap or was it, it was something like that. We just got in taking, an, and I don't even think Olivia was born yet. I think this was me, Rachel, and Judah were taking a nap. And I just woke up from this like heavy sleep and I look over and Rachel and Judah are not in the bed. And like, I get up and I'm like, it's quiet. It's eerie. I don't hear anything. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I got left behind. (laughs) This literally was the thought process. And I was like, oh my goodness, this is terrible. I mean, I'm sure if Rachel had to bet on somebody getting left behind me or her, it was going to be me. And I was like... Oh my goodness, I got left behind. I was, I was like too chicken to tell her about it too because I'm like, that's pretty dumb. But I had to tell her, I'm like, Rachel, I thought you and Judah got raptured and I got left behind. And I was like, not a good feeling. Not a good feeling. Let's turn to Luke 17. We'll talk a little bit more about the video here in a second. But here's another, uh, in verse 26, here's another um, documentation of the words that Jesus said. And it goes in a little bit more detail. So Luke 17, 26, it says, and as in the days of Noah, so will it also be in the days of the son of man. They ate, they drank, they married wives. They were given into marriage until that day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Now here's some added words here in the that Luke got that weren't in the book of Matthew. It says, likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so will it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. So I want to start a new series today. And it's going to be entitled, guess what? The Days of Noah. That's the series name. The name of the message, I'm calling it Crazy Normal Days. Crazy Normal Days. So according to Jesus, what are people going to be doing when when the end comes, when the rapture happens? We're going to be eating. Thank the Lord. We're still going to be able to to drink liquids. We're still going to be marrying. We're going to be buying stuff. We're going to be selling. We're going to be doing business, uh, farming, so that way we can do the first part in eating and building. You guys have seen buildings crazy around here in the Western Slope. So like the video showed, people will be doing normal everyday activities when the Lord comes. News, breaking news right here. That means the world isn't ending before Jesus comes back. 
I'm going to say that again. That means the world is not ending before Jesus comes back. Okay? I think a lot of times we'd be getting into fear about these things. And according to Jesus, a lot of normal stuff is going to be happening when the end takes place. And that's my first point uh, today, is that everyday life happening is not a sign that Jesus isn't coming soon. It's a sign that he is. Everyday life happening is not a sign that Jesus isn't coming soon. It's a sign that he is. You don't have to turn there, but in 2 Peter 3, 3, out of the NIV, they're going to put it up on the screen. 2 Peter 3, 3, Peter talks about this by the Holy Spirit. He says, above all, above all, so above everything that he just mentioned previously in, in, the, book, in the letter, 2 Peter, he said, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come. Scoffing and following their own evil desires, verse four, they will say, where is this coming? He promised. Ever since our ancestors died, Everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. How many of you have heard this argument from people? I know I have. It's like, no, thing, things happen in cycles, right? And, that, and that's true, right? You don't want to repeat, or history is doomed to repeat itself, right? And we've seen time and time again, things happen over and over and over again that are relatively similar. But you know, there's coming to the, a point where the cycle ends, Amen. Amen. People are going to be saying, hey, everything's cool. Life um, as normal is going on. Yeah, we got crazy things happening. But pretty much, why should I care about that Jesus is coming? Because people have been saying that forever. Um, life goes on as it has been. Bad things have happened before. Anybody ever heard that before? Yeah. Yeah. So obviously, there's got to be normal things happening for people not to run to Jesus. You know, you don't understand what I'm saying? Like, we've pictured the end so bad, and yes, it's getting bad, but I think we've forgotten that normal everyday life will still be happening when he comes. Amen? The truth is, Jesus does talk a lot about bad things that are going to happen before he comes. Go back, read this week, the previous verses in Matthew 24. He talks about famine. He talks about pestilence. He talks about earthquakes. He talks about wars. That's just to name a few. But in the midst of all of that, he also points to the fact that some sort of normalcy will be taking place, as Second Peter also mentions. Isn't that interesting? I don't know about you, maybe you're smarter than I am, but I've always pictured the end as absolute chaos. And yes, it will be chaotic, but at the same time, how, why would people still be doing normal things like eating, drinking, marrying? Who's going to get married when it's so chaotic, right? Like, we're just gonna, maybe I guess they could go to Vegas and be like, the end's coming, we got to go have Elvis marry us or something because nobody else wants to. But look at what in the book of Luke, 
they bought, they sold, they built. Who's going to care about all that if it's so chaotic? Am I making sense here? I'm kind of shooting some religious cows here. I can tell you guys are, your guys are pondering if what I'm saying is the truth or not. I mean, Jesus, the one who said it, I didn't say it. I'm just repeating what he said, right? Normal things will be happening. I mean, think about it for a second. If things were so chaotic, if things were so bad, people would have had a different viewpoint of Noah's Ark than they did. Nobody cared about the Ark. Nobody, I mean, if somebody's building a boat that's bigger, like three times this building, do you think somebody would care about it today? Nobody cared about it. I mean, they probably mocked him for it. Hi, you're building a big boat? What's that for? Second Peter calls Noah a preacher of righteousness. The last time I checked, you can't be a preacher unless you're preaching to somebody, right? Who is he preaching to? The wood that he was building the ark with? No, he was preaching to people. He was warning them and trying to convince them of what was going to happen so that way they wouldn't get destroyed. So that way they could repent. Nobody else got in the ark besides Noah. Yet he was preaching to them about it. Obviously they didn't care. They were complacent. They were probably saying the same things as what uh, Second Peter said. Nah, everything is good as it's always been. Everything goes on as it should. Why do, I, why do I need to listen to you? Here's the thing. Don't yield to complacency just because life is good for you. I'm going to say that again. I think a lot of times we come into church and we think everybody's awful, everybody's doing bad. No, I bet you some of you, life is actually pretty good. Maybe not now, or maybe it has been. And I know for me, I have to fight complacency when the skies are blue. I have to fight um, not spending time with God. Did I word that right? Um, I have to fight not spending time with God um, because everything's good. But all of a sudden, when things get bad, it's like, oh, we got to put our head in the word. We got to pray day and night. It's like, well, why don't you do something similar when the skies are blue. Um, I've even seen this, uh, Rachel has brought this up with a lot of my you know, friends of mine that went to high school and, and stuff. Um, it's not the bad that's deterring them from church, from God. I think it's the good. It's the good things. It's like nothing too bad has happened, right? So I can keep doing what I want to do. I can keep saying what I'm going to say. It's like, unfortunately, sometimes it takes like a, you getting knocked upside the head with a sledgehammer for us to get turned around. But you know, the devil is okay with letting your life be good if it causes you to drift back from God or even pursue God. See, I have to learn that I have to strive even more for godliness, holiness, a prayer life when things are good. I mean, I think if this is easy for youth, for teenagers, they don't really have any worries because their parents got it all taken care of, but yet they're in 
they're in this uh, moment in time where they can do some things that adults can do. And I don't know about you, it was really easy to get complacent in high school with my walk with God because I didn't have to worry about much stuff. And I think as adults, we can get into that same place like, oh yeah, life is good, this is great. And when, then we draw back. But see, we shouldn't draw back when life is good. We should pursue God even more when life is good. Amen? All right, now that, we talked about what Jesus said about the days of Noah. Now let's go to what the Genesis account of Noah is in chapter six. And we're gonna read in verse one. Is this making sense so far a little bit? You guys hanging in there? We got a little bit more scripture, so don't, don't fall asleep on me, all right? Genesis 6, one. It says, and in, in case you don't know where Genesis is, it's at the beginning of the book. <laughs> now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them that the sons of God saw the daughters of men and that they were beautiful and they took wives for themselves of whom they chose. Verse three, and the Lord said, my spirit shall not strive with man forever for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. There were giants on the earth in those days, excuse me, and also afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. So um, this is the biblical explanation for like superhumans like Hercules and like the different uh, polytheism religions that were dominating the ancient world. You know, like Greek mythology, Roman mythology. So this is the biblical explanation as to why those religions got created. And polytheism, in case you don't know what that means, that's the worship of many gods, right? We're monotheism, we worship one God. So there's a lot of debate on the above scriptures and what they're saying, what do they mean? Um, did angels really come down and do that? Like what? Like Jesus said, like angels don't get married. Like they don't do that. I, I don't know. To be honest, we'll find out all we need to know in the next life. But I do believe there was some sort of tainting with the human DNA to create beings that never should have been created. Does anybody know why? No, I'll answer it for you. So the reason is because Satan was trying to corrupt the bloodline that Jesus would come through. Because God said in Genesis 3, like, yo, bro, there's coming a dude, all right? And he's, you may strike his heel, you may hurt him a little bit, but he's gonna take off your head. And Satan was like, I like my head. I don't need that happening to me. So I'm gonna do whatever I can to make sure this person is never born. Okay, so that's the reason this was happening. Even um, some early Jewish writings indicate that humans were messing with DNA, evenly, even mingling their own DNA with like animals' DNA. Gross. That sounds gross, right? That just sounds like not okay. Like, don't do that. So there was some wicked stuff happening in Noah's day. In fact, look at verse five. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Think about that for a second. Those are, that's strong language. Every thought, every single thought was evil continually. continually? That's a lot of evil. 
I mean, think about how much stuff that come into our mind that we don't want to talk about, right? But even in through all that, there's a lot of good things that come into our mind too, right? Not in this day. It was evil continually. All, all they had, all they thought on was evil, evil, evil. It was because of what we read about in verses one through uh, four. And verse six says, and the Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. Um, so the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I've created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air. For I am sorry that I have made man, uh, for I'm sorry I've made them. But, oh, somebody say but. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. I think we need to be thanking Noah a lot more than we, need, than we, we should be. You know, like Abraham gets a lot of, you know, credit. Yeah, Abraham, father of the faith. You know, David, yeah, slayed some giants and, you know, took on bears and lions with his own hands. What a beast. How about Noah? All right. If it wasn't for Noah, none of our smiling faces would be here today. All right. And Noah found grace in the eyes of God. Did you know, as a believer, you found grace in the eyes of God? Woo! When you find grace in the eyes of God, you will be spared. That should make a lot more people happy. When you find grace in the eyes of God, you will be spared. Spared from what? Spared from a lot of junk that you don't need to go through. That's why it's very important that we don't uh, criticize people who maybe have found more grace than you have. Amen? I know that that's very uh, something that I have to work on and be diligent on. Otherwise, my mind can, can go rampant. Like, well, that person did the same thing and they got in trouble right off the bat. This other person did it like five times and it looks like they're still getting away with it. Now, eventually, things will catch up to them, right? Judgment will, will come. But never criticize somebody for finding grace in the eyes of God. Because guess what? You're going to need that grace real soon anyway, right? You're probably going to do something where you're going to need to find grace in the eyes of God. And in verse 9, it says, this is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Here's the key. Noah walked with God. And in verse 11, it says, the earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So, the Lord, so God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. Did you notice in those verses 11 and 12 that the word corrupt is used three times? That seems like an excessive amount to say one word in a short period of time. So what is corrupt what does corrupt mean? Well, the, the Hebrew word that uh, they translated it from, well, it means to be corrupt. That's why they use the word corrupt. It means to be ruined. It means to be marred. Well, what does marred mean? Marred means to be damaged, spoiled, disfigured. And this is his words that, uh, to describe the human race at this time. So marred. Think about like a, a rotten piece of fruit. You picturing a rotten piece of fruit? I can tell you for me, um, I experienced a rotten piece of fruit in the form of an apple. Didn't look rotten on the outside, but I was in my office one day and I bit into that apple 
And I was like, oh, wow, this is a sour apple. Oh, this is a disgusting apple. And I looked and it was black on the inside. And I was like, and I swallowed some of it. And I was like, oh Lord, I'm, help me not to die right now. And I like spit it out. I'm like throwing up in my office and I'm like, oh my gosh, but it looked perfectly fine on the outside. But on the inside, it was black. I ate it, I digested it, but I'm still alive. Praise God. But anyway, it was spoiled. It was disfigured on the inside. It was black. It was unusable. All the nutrients were far gone from it. Far gone. Far gone. So that's my second point today. Satan's whole agenda is to corrupt you in some form or fashion. Satan's whole agenda for you, his will for you, okay, this is the enemy's will for you, to corrupt you in some form or fashion. The Bible says Noah was perfect. He was um, perfect, which means he was undefiled. He was unblemished. He was blameless. Pretty much everything opposite of what God used to describe the rest of the human race, Noah was the opposite of that. Why? Well, we read about it in verse, uh, verse nine. Yes, verse nine. What does it say? It says, Noah walked with God. Noah walked with God. And because Noah, who needs to be getting a lot more credit than he's been getting, all right? Because he walked with, with God, he didn't succumb to the corruption that the rest of the world succumbed to. Think about how lonely he must have felt. I was thinking about that as I was studying this. I'm like, wow, I really don't have an excuse to be like, oh my gosh, I'm so alone. Like nobody else has gone through this. No, today we've all gone through similar things, right? We're not alone. I mean, look at, look at around. We're not alone. We have God and we have each other. Noah literally didn't have much. Person-wise, he had his family, that was it. But he had God and he walked with God. And he, he said, I don't care what the rest of the world does. I don't care what other people do. I'm gonna stick to walking with God. So the next time you feel pressure to not walk with God in a situation, just remember Noah, how he was the only one walking with God when millions of other people were not, okay? You're not alone. You got God and you got other people. But isn't it interesting in the midst of all this corruption, see, I, I'm using the word corruption and not chaos. Get it? Corruption, not chaos. Isn't it interesting that normal everyday life was occurring in a world that was so corrupt? I mean, you read that, you're like, whoa, that place had like no order. It was so dysfunctional. I, I'm sure there was dysfunction to it. But in the midst of all that corruption, they were still eating, they were still drinking, they were still doing business, they were still building buildings, they were still farming. Isn't that what Jesus said? In the midst of all that, normal life was happening. So when I knew this was the direction the Lord wanted me to go, and this was probably mid-July, I couldn't get over the fact that I knew he wanted us to meditate on in this series 
that the word corrupt was used three times. That's key. The word corrupt was used three times. Anytime the Bible repeats a word, that means we need to pay attention to it. Anytime it repeats it twice, we need to really, really pay attention. We need to really get what God wants us to get out of it. That means he's emphasizing something. I mean, it's enough for God to say something once, right? It's another thing for him to say it again. But if he's saying it three times, that means we need to like put the spotlight on that scripture, study it and see what does that mean? What does that mean that it was corrupt? Um, so Jesus said, as in the days of Noah, so will be at the time of his coming. Can anybody say that corruption is happening in our world today? Everybody's head pretty much nodded. We can all, we may disagree on a lot of things, but we can all agree that this world is corrupted and it's only becoming more corrupted, right? But at the same time, isn't normal everyday life happening? Joe, you're still driving the bus, right? You're not driving the bus anymore? <laughs> he's not doing that anymore, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, let's go to Josh. I know he's still, Josh, you're still fixing elevators, right? Yeah? Was that a shrug or? Yeah, you are. Okay, you're not doing something else. So I'm going to pick somebody else next. Okay, you're doing, you're still working on elevators. Okay. Are you still going home and eating dinner? Yes. yes. Does Nikki still make food for you? Yes. Sometimes. Okay. <laughs> but at the same time, the world is so corrupt, right? But at the same time that it's corrupt, normal everyday things are still taking place, right? So... And my interpretation of that means Jesus is coming real soon. Yes, things have happened in the past, but nothing's happened quite like how it's happening today. I mean, like that statistic I read, high school student has the same level of anxiety as a psychiatric patient from the 50s? Come on, something's off about it, right? It's not the same. It's not the same. So I asked God, okay, you want me to focus on corrupt? What was the enemy trying to corrupt, right? Well, we already know he was trying to corrupt the bloodline, right? But it was more than that. I'm like, there's three things. Corrupt was mentioned three times. So Lord, I believe you're telling me there's three things the enemy's trying to corrupt in the world and even in our lives today. And he said, you're right. And I said, thank you. That doesn't happen very often. He said, you know, go to John 14, John 14. And I said, okay, go to verse six. And I said, okay, three things, three things. John 14, six, go ahead, put it up on the screen. It says, Jesus said to him, I am the way, actually, let's say it together, say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Three things. You don't, I know you're about ready to say it. Don't, you don't need to say the rest. Just that part right there, Ashton. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So here's where the three main things 
that Satan is going to try to corrupt in your life to bring corruption in it. He's going to try to corrupt your way of life. Another word for that is direction. We could put your purpose down there. He's trying to corrupt the truth in your life. Hello, I think that's pretty self-explanatory how everybody has their truth today, how morally speaking, we are declining rapidly. Truth is becoming something that is very easily identified as something that's being corrupt, right? And number three, life. That is the eternal, abundant God life on the inside of you. Well, he can't corrupt that, right? But he can corrupt people from ever experiencing that life. He can corrupt you from, from ever um, experiencing it in your life to the fullest extent that it needs to be, right? Most of the church world believes that God's will is not to heal you. That's a form of corruption, right? He's very sneaky. Have you noticed that about Satan? He's like a snake, very slithery, very sneaky. It's not gonna be big and bad. He'll take little bits and pieces of each one in your life to try to corrupt, before, before you know it, you've become very corrupted in an area that you never thought would be possible. But it starts with the little foxes, the Bible says, the little things. So the enemy corrupted these things back in Noah's day. Think about that. He corrupted the way of the human race, their sense of direction. They corrupted the truth. Hello, they were wicked. They were corrupt. They were evil, thinking evil continually. And he corrupted their life. Verse seven says, if you had known me, you would have known that uh, my father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. So I'm not gonna wait till the end of the series to tell you how to avoid corruption, all right? I think we need to like do that like now, you know, like this moment forward. So my last point is closeness with God is the antidote to avoid corruption. Sounds very basic, sounds very elementary, but just because something is simple doesn't mean it's always easy. Did you catch what I just said? I said, just because something seems simple doesn't make that thing always easy. Because if I were to ask most of you in here how your walk with God is, I bet you a lot of you would say it could be better, right? Could be better. Why? Just because things have come up that are trying to distract us. But isn't that what verse nine in Genesis six said? It said Noah walked with God. Well, he walked with God and that produced closeness with God. Amen? Amen. That is, I just gave you the answer, all right? I just gave you the answer. You should be really, really, really happy. <laughs> the issue is, are you gonna do it? I can tell you, you should, that's not gonna produce anything in your life. You have to make the choice. Are you gonna to purpose to be close with God? Because it's the antidote. So for the next um, few weeks that I'm up here, I actually get to preach next week. So I'm gonna do part two next week. I'm gonna jump right into it. The next three times, at least I'm up here, I'm gonna dissect how the enemy's trying to corrupt the way, trying to corrupt the truth, and how he's, gonna, how he's trying to corrupt the life in humanity, in us. Does that sound exciting to anybody? Yes.
Because guess what? The more we know about his devices, the less we can be tricked by them. We're going to be untrickable. We're going to be un... Um, I was going to come up with a word that's not in the dictionary, so I probably shouldn't do that. We aren't going to be deceived people. We're going to recognize what the enemy's trying to do in our lives, what he's trying to do in other people's lives. And we're going to live above his tactics. Amen? So in closing, what does it mean to walk with God? Again, we're going back to like the foundational elements of Christianity. What does it mean to walk with God? What does it mean to have a relationship with God? Well, most of you know it, but I'm just going to remind you, maybe there's some new people today and you're like, well, I've never walked with God a single day in my life. Ah, your journey can start here in just a few moments. But for the rest of us, daily prayer, reading our Bible. A lot of Christians don't like this one for some reason. Coming to church. Did you know God established the church, not man? So we need to be doing what he established. And the last one is key, implementing what you hear from God. I think a lot of times we miss that last part, implementing what we hear from this message, from any message, what we get from him in our prayer time. So I'm going to challenge you. All right. Do you guys want to be challenged? Do you guys want to actually put action to what you heard today? Okay, this is my um, challenge to you. Whatever amount of time you spend with God daily, starting tomorrow, I want you to increase it. Okay? I'm not going to tell you by how much. Guess what? Be honest with yourself. If, you've only sp- if you're only spending 10 minutes a day with God, don't try to go an hour Okay, because what's the point of doing that for three days and then you're like, oh, I can't do that. I can't maintain that. And then you don't do anything because you feel bad about not doing what you said you would do. Make sense? So I'm gonna give you some examples. I'm not saying you do this because you need to pray and ask God what the increase needs to be, okay? But for example, if you do 10 minutes a day, maybe do 15. If you do uh, 30 minutes a day, maybe jump it to 45, Maybe if you're like at an hour, go hour 20. I don't know. I'm just giving you examples. But whatever amount of time you're spending with God, maybe, maybe you don't even do it every day. Maybe you're only like three times a week. Well, my challenge for you would be to make it a daily thing. Okay? This is important. This is like elementary, but I bet you like if we took an audit of our lives, I bet not all of us took time each day to spend time with God. Okay, it's really easy to come in here and say, amen, and oh, praise God, I love you, and da, 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 da. But then we need to be able to walk that out Monday through Saturday, or actually Sunday through Sunday, every day. So whatever amount of time you spend with God, I want you to increase it this week. And maybe you haven't made it a daily habit. I challenge you to make it a daily habit and start small, okay? Big things come from small beginnings, So if five minutes seems like a lot to you, you need to start there, okay? We're all at different levels and it's okay. There's no shame in that, okay? But start somewhere and then in a few months, increase it and then increase it after that and increase it again. Because at the same time, I, I just told you the key. 
to avoiding corruption, at the end of the day, we all got to do it, right? I can't, I can't avoid corruption for you. Pastor can't avoid corruption for you. God can't avoid corruption for you, but spending time with him will cause you to avoid the corruption of the, of the rest of the world. Amen. How many think it's pretty important to avoid the corruption that's happening today? Why purpose that Faith Heights Church is going to live above the corruption happening in, in the world? Amen? Amen? Let's bow our heads and let's pray and seal this message to our hearts. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for the word that was brought forth today. Lord, I pray that these words penetrated not the, just the minds of the people, but the hearts of the people, our hearts, Father God. Lord, I pray that you help us, Father God, that you grace us to be able to increase time with you this week. And Father, I ask that you just place on the hearts of each person what that increase is. And Lord, I just pray for everybody in here today that they would be able to maintain that. That in the midst of um, things that are gonna try to come up because Satan knows they heard this word today, that are gonna try to take time away from you. I declare they're gonna be able to identify that and make changes and not succumb to that, but they're gonna do what you told them to do. They're gonna walk with you. They're gonna read their Bible. They're gonna pray. They're gonna keep coming to church. They're gonna implement what they heard today. I'm gonna implement what I heard today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Lord, I declare in the name of Jesus, Faith Heights Church is not tainted by the corruption of the world. I declare Faith Heights Church rises above. I declare Faith Heights Church is a church that pulls people from that corruption that helps translate people from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. That Faith Heights Church is a church that doesn't yield to deception. That anytime deception tries to arise in our lives or in our minds and our thinking, that we are willing and obedient to the Holy Spirit to identify that. I thank you, Lord, for your goodness. I thank you that Faith Heights Church is a church that has found grace in your eyes. And just like Noah, because he found grace in your eyes, he was spared and we will be spared. We will be like the land of Goshen in Egypt where all this negative stuff is happening all around, but none of the plagues, none of the the bad things that happened to Egypt happened to the Israelites in the land of Goshen. And I declare that's um, for us here at this church, at our homes, at our houses, A thousand may fall at our side, 10,000 at our right hand, but it will not come near us in Jesus' name. That's not just physical things, but that's spiritual things too. We put up our shield of faith, the shield of faith that's able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. If everybody could maintain an attitude of prayer and heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to, Um, give this opportunity right now for people in the building, people watching online. If you've never accepted Jesus as the Lord of your life and you're like, what does that mean? That means you know you haven't been doing what you've 
what you're supposed to do. You've had this itch on the inside of you, this uneasiness that you know there's more to life, that you know there's more and you want that. Jesus is calling you. And that means you can have victory in this life. That means you can avoid corruption in this life. But it also means that you will be forever with him in heaven, forever with the rest of us in heaven. A place that's unlike any other. A place far better than here. You think it's great here. (laughs) It's way better in heaven. So if that's you, in a few moments, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand as an act of faith that you would like to receive Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, to be with him forever, to be able to avoid the corruption that's happening in this world. That's what I'm going to ask you to do is raise your hand. So if that's you today and you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I'd like you to raise your hand right now like you to raise your hand. If you're watching online and that's you, just type in the, ch- in the chat, that's me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you've never accepted Jesus as the Lord of your life, a simple act of faith is raising your hand. Hallelujah. It looks like everybody's saved in here, but I want to do another one. I want to do a rededication prayer. And if you... Um, maybe you haven't done everything you know you're supposed to do. Maybe you've been disobedient to God for a while and you want to come back to him. And this message challenged you to come back to God. I'd like you to raise your hand right now, if that's you. I see those hands. I see all those hands. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. You can put your hand down if you raised it. You can look up at me. Well, people raise their hands to be rededicated to the Lord, so we're going to do that at this time, all right? Please stand up. Please don't leave yet during this time. This is a holy time. So we're going to repeat after me, so that way just the five people by themselves aren't repeating by themselves. So repeat after me. Say, Father God, I come back to you today. And I declare that you are my Lord. You are my Savior. I purpose from this day forward to follow you, to avoid the corruption, to live above the devil's schemes, to do what you've commanded me to do, even when it looks like it's not popular because I know you are always with me and you will never leave me nor forsake me. I repent of my sins. I plead the blood of Jesus. Thank you for forgiving me. Amen. Amen. Come on. Good listening today, church. I'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. For more information about this ministry, visit faithheights.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. To sow into this ministry, visit faithheights.org and click on the Donate tab. 